0: Painter, do I have you? Are you there? Yes, I'm here slow to the draw. I had my microphone muted. Um, You know, still a rookie. You you handled this, I think, much better than I would have when we had to do this. I guess at the peak of, although we're not through all of the COVID stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was was something that we had to kind of learn. On the fly, so it, I guess it's going to be kind of like riding a bicycle, right? You, you don't ever truly forget any of that stuff.
0: I think you can handle it. I'll be here. I'm looking forward to it. Sounds like we've got a lot to chew on, my friend. Yes, sir. The Auburn Observer podcast uh, coming to you.
1: We're recording this on a Sunday. You'll hear this first on Monday morning, hopefully. Um, Justin Ferguson, Painter Sharpless, doing this remotely. Uh, I'm back in Auburn. Painter, you are in the uh, the great frozen north. And I think my main question for you being <laughs> up there this week is, uh, is it any cooler? It, does it actually feel like it might be fall up there compared to how freaking hot it is down here?
0: So, you're referring to it correctly as the frozen north. However, I will say right now they are experiencing a fall, something that Auburn gets to have like at the end of October for a few weeks, and then it gets cold kind of quick, or at least what we perceive to be cold. So, yes, as we were making our way up the east coast, we could feel the temperature dropping, and that was not the worst thing in the world. We've got a couple of dogs here, too. Uh, You you were laughing at me the other day because I was talking to Kiki about time as if she understood it as a concept. Uh, But here we are. Everybody's safe, and we're going to watch the Bills, hopefully uh, get a dub tomorrow.
1: Yeah, by the time you hear this recording, um, you will know if Painter is correct about his Buffalo Bills or not. Um, we will we we will see uh, <laughs> that one could be funny after the fact. Like if they just go out and just get wrecked, but they shouldn't. They're playing the Jets, right? Yes,
0: yes they are.
1: Yeah, so I mean, hopefully all good things there for the Buffalo Bills. Um, I think maybe later in the week, or you know, we might start doing it a little bit more as well as we get into um the season. Uh, Talk about some Auburn in the NFL, guys. But the big thing is Auburn in the college, guys, uh, because Auburn had another week of practice wrap-up on Saturday, their third scrimmage of fall camp. You can check out all the observations from that, over 2,500 words of them to be exact, at auburnobserver.com. Those went up on Sunday morning. Check it out. We're going to talk about a few of those in here, uh, but if you want kind of the full-scale of what we learned from the previous week of Auburn practice, you can get it there at the Observer. I guess we need to start with the big news for Auburn. It's the biggest news for pretty much every team at this time. I was watching watching a little bit of college football yesterday. Um, like Georgia Southern was like missing like 35 players yesterday. Oklahoma had their team like cut in half pretty much. They didn't need it because they were gonna you know hammer Missouri State. But um, yeah, it was you know it was a real as the season and as really the, the pool of teams playing college football uh, start to widen back out as we get deeper into the season, I think you're going to start seeing just the full range of like, who's going to be available and who's not going to be available. And uh, for Auburn this past week, uh, you know, after a week where they had zero positives, uh, they picked up two, This past week, uh, Sunday and Wednesday, is when they test. They will get a third test per week now this week um, as part of the SEC's regulations to get closer to football season. And uh, 10 players were out of practice last week, and Gus Malzon said including five of them were starters. Painter, there were quite a few reactions to that news that Malzahn dropped yesterday. When you hear those words, 10 players missed practice five of them starters like what was your initial reaction to it
0: i'm I'm not surprised i think auburn's done a a good job at being pretty clear about where they stand on this Um, auburn has as many resources as i think any college program will have we talked about this a lot, probably a little bit to a, an annoying extent because we focused on depth, especially on the defensive side of the ball that came up in our more recent podcast, but I, I just wasn't surprised, Justin. I mean, you have said this and Kevin Steele said it, like depth is going to be so critical um, and we're seeing some games getting postponed, so I, I just wasn't surprised. I know that's not a very good answer, but... This is going to be something Auburn and every other team is going to deal with throughout this season and maybe in the next year. Who knows? But let's just get through this year right now. I can't say I was surprised, Justin.
1: Yeah. Painter. Uh, I think that the thing that stood out to me yesterday was the amount of people um, asking, okay, how bad is this? You know, how bad is not having five starters, not having 10 players, you know, this close to the season. What is that like? What is that going to be like for the, this week one game? You know, I tweet that out. I know a lot of people did. I tweet out the 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 stats from Malzahn yesterday, and immediately there was a bunch of Kentucky people like retweeting it. They were like, you know, oh, Auburn's having some really big problems right now. And then I get you know news later that Kentucky had to like really adjust its scrimmage and practice because of <laughs> some of the numbers. <laughs> so okay. it's like. So it's like, okay, well, I think everybody's having to deal with it, and it's just going to be a matter of like how much you're having to deal with
0: it is going be, to be the key thing. Um, I know I, I gave really poor analysis then, Justin. Like Just <laughs> saying you weren't surprised means nothing to the listeners, but did you have any other different reaction?
1: I mean, not really. I, I think I think one of the key things to keep in mind is that at the time of this of these positives, these two positives and 10 guys with contact tracing, um, or I guess 10 in total, you should say, those guys could all come back and play week one. There's enough time for them to go through all the protocol they need to and be able to play. Gus Malzahn said yesterday, or Saturday, I, I, I should say, he said that the big thing now is just got to be this this distancing, this contact tracing. Like They've got to be really, really key on – not getting near each other in like whenever you're away from the football field, because that's, that's the problem. You get close enough to one another. Um, these things start shutting down and like guys who don't have it have to at least you know sit out for a while. And so I think he, they're really, really stressing, you know, Hey, we've uh, done a really good job with masks. Uh, guys have not like gone out and done anything, you know, that they're not supposed to, they're really taking care of what they need to take care of in this time. However, I think the big thing for them is that uh, they've got to do a better job that if somebody tests positive, they need to be like, all right, well, no, not that many people were around them. There were fans yesterday, Auburn fans yesterday were like, you can feel like some of them are really, really kind of in despair mode. Um, some of them will say, OK, that, that number is not that bad. I right. I think that I think you fall. So I think I would fall somewhere in the middle if I were them. But I, I'll, I'll I'll say this. The big thing for Auburn here, and this might be naive of me, this might be completely just straight up wrong, but this is kind of how I'm kind of feeling right now. um, You know, grading out what is going on with college football, you know, in this COVID era, especially with what I saw yesterday. And and let me know what you think about this one. In my opinion, this season in college football you're not going to really have quote unquote starters as much as you're going to have a starting quarterback. And then a bunch of guys like you want to be able to rely on. And that's pretty much it. Like I think Kevin seal said it on, on Thursday. We are working with a shifting depth chart all the time. Like it's constantly changing. And I think if you're Auburn, the big one just because he's the most important position on the field is that Bo Nix is available, but then other than that, you at every other position you've got to have qual- uh, you know, starter quality depth all throughout, and that's what there's something that they're building toward right now. Just because it like it, it doesn't it, it, it doesn't really even uh, I guess the word here is like it shouldn't surprise you that there could be guys who just drop off. I mean, there were five starters who were out this week. No one knows who who they are specifically except for Auburn itself you got to be ready for stuff like that.
0: I'm curious to see how coaches game plan, but the thing I think I'm most curious about is what has been alluded to in the past mainly as a joke. It might actually be true this year if a worst-case scenario comes to play for certain teams. There is a running joke that Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Georgia – at points in the last 10 years, Florida, have had so much talent that often their second team could compete with just about any team. Well, I think we might find out to an extent. And Auburn, like you mentioned, I think feels very good at about every position, quarterback probably being uh, the, the big concern with where they're at in depth and experience. The offensive line, people will say, well, what about that group? Well, yeah, but you also don't know a whole lot about your first team yet either. So I'm curious to see. It's a bit of a cliche when you throw out the, well, their second team could probably beat so-and-so's first team. But with the way people could be coming in and out of the season, you know, the teams that are the deepest are almost certainly going to be the ones best positioned to be in the playoff if we get to that point. And guess who those teams just happen to be? The teams that are usually already there.
1: Yeah, I think it was Alex Kirchner who tweeted out Saturday night when Clemson was running over uh, Wake Forest in the way that they were. He was like, could Clemson's second team win the ACC? And I'm like, I mean, maybe, maybe. I mean, I guess we have to keep in mind now that we have, uh, you know, ACC uh, contender Notre Dame in the mix, but I mean, that's, <laughs> You got to you got to keep in you got to keep in mind. I think that 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 offense and defense had depth on both sides. It's just the recruiting is finally really caught up to the to the to the numbers that Clemson has put up. And I think for Auburn, you know, you boast a lot about that depth. Kevin Steele talked a lot about building that depth. Something we talked about on the last podcast. I feel confident. Really, all three levels of that defense, they're going to be able to be fine there with the number of defensive linemen they got. With the number of I mean, they returned three, three really good and experienced linebackers in a group that usually only plays two um on the field at the same time. Then you've got the secondary where you've got three you got a returning starter there, you've got three guys that were quote unquote starters last season because the amount of time they played in Roger McCurry, Smoke Monday, and Jamie Sherwood you got five dudes working out at corner and like to a level where Kevin seals out there saying, yeah, I don't know who's going to start between that group because all of them are playing at a really high level. And then, you know, there's other guys in there like Jordan Peters that have a lot of experience as depth pieces and can be moved around. And they're going to be really, really valuable this season. My question is how much of that do we see on the offensive side of the ball? Uh, You mentioned the offensive line. Auburn wanted to have some sort of offensive line in place as they head into this week. It seems like after they do film review of the scrimmage and all of practice and and, and whatnot from the past week, early this week, they want to have that five set so they can be ready to go. But keep in mind, as we said, Malzahn a couple weeks ago said they want to have a top 10 on the offensive line because – Who knows? Like one guy might have to drop out. And it sounded like they have, you know, had to deal with injuries up front. They've had to deal with guys missing time due to COVID up front. Not great. But if there's any silver lining for the football, strictly for the football perspective, because I don't think there's any silver lining whatsoever in a pandemic (laughs) that has killed (laughs) tens and now hundreds of thousands of people. From a strictly football standpoint, the way that you're having to play the season is that you're you're having to work on guys who aren't not who are not just necessarily first teamers. So how much of that is there on the offensive line? I think that's your major question. Running backs, you got a ton of depth and you're gonna be able to cycle through those guys, I think. Wide receiver, it sounds like some really good depth is evolving, especially when you look at Shatter Jackson taking a step forward, Savion Capers getting a lot of love, Kobe Hudson getting a lot of love as well. There's depth pretty much everywhere. I think really for Auburn, it's just number one, you don't want to have anything happen to your starting quarterback, and number two, like any team. And then number two, you want to see how much you've been able to get this offensive line ready for what's to come because – it's, it's going to be kind of all hands on deck this season, and I keep going back to what Steele said. We are working with a constantly shifting, a constantly changing depth chart. That's 100%, I think, what college football is going to look like this season. Um, and you're going to have some games, hopefully not at Auburn, uh, or hopefully not anywhere, I should say, but you, you might have some games that you'll see where it'll be like the Oklahoma game yesterday, and they go out for pregame warm-ups, and it looks like half the team's out there.
0: I think it would be foolish not to expect at some point in the year this to be, again, like you said, putting aside the real world ramifications of people's health, an absolute nuisance to your team's ability to win. Like I think you would be foolish to not expect it to get in the way, and it, you know, probably will be at play for other teams too. But it's gonna it's gonna rear its head at some point this year. I think is probably how the coaching staff has to look at this.
1: Yeah, I mean, 100%. And I guess switching over to more kind of scrimmage observations from this, the big one for Gus Malzahn, the thing I think is going to keep him up, you know, over the weekend and into next week, is didn't seem to have any turnovers um, from this scrimmage, from what he said. Somebody asked about the tackling, because I think if you watched any of the college football from earlier <laughs> this weekend, the tackling has been pretty rough in certain games. Malzon said he thought that the, the defense has tackled really well uh, the team and special teams as well like they've tackled really well considering the circumstances that they didn't have a full spring to go through the big one for him was penalties he said they had as many penalties on Saturday as the first two scrimmages combined and that is a pardon the pun here that's a that's a flag for them like they're they're like oh wait that's not a <laughs> That's that's not what you want to see. You want to be playing some of your cleaner ball right as you lead up to uh, camp. And Malzahn he harped on it twice during the during the um, Zoom call on Saturday. They got to cut those down because we don't know what Auburn's offense is going to look like. It is going to be a work in progress, I should say. I think at least with that offensive line, with the new system that Kevin's, uh, I'm sorry, uh, that Chad Morris has brought into the picture. Um, with some new faces at key positions. It, and I should say on the defense side as well, especially especially on the line and in the secondary, um, you got to be playing really clean ball and you can't give away yards, especially when you're a team that's going to be figuring some things out early in the season, I would think. And that's something I know Malzahn is really, really uh, going to focus
0: on. I'm fascinated to see what the tackling looks like because uh, we spent a lot of time this offseason, I think rightfully so, talking about offenses and how they'll be impacted because offenses generally take more time to come together. But uh, listening to the Florida State-Georgia Tech game, Florida State did have a hard time, as most teams did, in their opening weekend of games. They had a hard time moving the football consistently, but the tackling was sloppy, as you just mentioned, and they committed a ton of costly penalties. And I think, of course, a lot of that comes from what you just mentioned inexperience at key positions, um, an inability to practice with everybody there. Like, I don't know what the answer is for the coaching staff because some of these things I think are inevitable just minimizing them will ultimately be the team's goal. So I, I'm fascinated to see what happens, as you mentioned, with how sharp the defense is looking. We focus so much on the offense this year. And uh, I think you make a good point about the way, uh, the way we've seen some other teams come out looking in their first week.
1: Yeah. I think the penalties is going to, are going to be the thing that, that Malzahn really wants to avoid. Um, it's going to be one of those things if you're Auburn that you have to clean up on because, like I said, you don't want to give away yards in a season where you're going to have to figure a lot out if you're if you're Auburn. Um, if you look back to last season, you know when it comes to when it comes to penalty yardage, Auburn was not great. Seventy fourth in the country, you know, uh, in, in penalty yards per game, they got seven point one penalties per game. Uh, which I believe was the higher, near the high for the Malzahn era. So it's something they're going to have to really um, tamp down on, especially I think on offense. You don't want to put yourself behind the eight ball, especially with the way they are playing on the offensive end uh, early on in the season, I would imagine.
0: And we've joked about chaos Auburn these first couple of weeks with all these factors, with Auburn being the team that it typically is. But you talk about a way in which I can envision A team losing to a team that they are significantly better than Kentucky in an opening week game where your offense could come out slow, where your defense could be a little sluggish itself. Maybe it's not in great form with tackling. And then, of course, like you mentioned, some penalties or turnovers come into play. Suddenly your talent advantage doesn't mean as much if Kentucky is managing to do what the coaches somewhat annoyingly always refer to as the little things.
1: Right, and and I think if you saw Saturday in college football, you got to be on your game, because um, Kentucky's a really good team. They are not as talented on paper as Auburn. I would give Auburn the edge because they're playing at home. It's a weird year. You feel better about them on both sides of the ball, but like Kentucky's fully capable of coming down here and beating Auburn, um, especially with the way they run the ball, especially with the way uh, their defense is been steadily improving over the last few years the thing there is you know on saturday in college football we got iowa state a ranked iowa state team not necessarily not, not just losing but losing badly to uh louisiana uh, lafayette you had you know uh, of course coastal carolina killed kansas which i don't think anybody <laughs> is totally surprised by uh you know Texas Tech got everything they wanted from Houston Baptist. Uh, there was uh, – what was the other big one? Arkansas oh, Kansas. State. Yeah. Yeah, Kansas State losing one uh, to Arkansas State as well. Georgia Tech beat Florida State, by the way. Yeah, by won. the
0: way, the, uh, the announcers for that game said that Florida State has not beaten Georgia Tech in the regular season since 2003. I think they have only played four times, but still, like I was like –
1: yeah, that's it. that was a thing where you just you just have to be like, man, that Florida State eh, maybe they got some more troubles than we <laughs> thought. Maybe we got some maybe they got some more troubles than we thought. It might not have all been Willie really Taggart tacky,
0: wasn't their only problem. For
1: yeah, I just I don't I I'm, I'm not I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it as as that was that was it. But yeah, you got to be on your a game. So even if you are the better team, quote unquote, even if you are the home team. You gotta play well because this is gonna be a weird year, and like you're gonna have to embrace kind of the weirdness of it. But the last thing you want to do is shoot yourself in the foot, especially like I said, when you're trying to figure some things out. Other th- other notes from the scrimmage: uh, it was about a 60 play scrimmage after they did a lot of two minute work and special teams work. Special teams wise, still some battles there. Um, it sounds like the kickoff return battle, Sean Shivers um Eli Stove Mark Anthony Richards no Anthony Schwartz which is surprising I would I would say but Malzon left the door open for that to happen uh Painter we still got a punting battle going on
0: what what do I make of this Ferg what's going on here um, and why is Bo Nix not taking all the punts
1: yeah I mean I think we're all upset that Bo Nix isn't the punter but yeah uh oscar chapman the australian uh punter uh this past week was his first week of practice so i can't imagine he's just said all right (laughs) american football i have mastered it within six days uh aiden marshall of course coming back to auburn uh interesting little story for him um is in the mix there as well and uh i know the the one thing that's going to keep a lot of people up at night auburn is still trying to figure out its holding situation oh buddy you got to have the holder down pat. And so they're going to have to work through all those kind of things as well. It gets to a point where they had 60 plays. Like we said, penalties were the big thing with them. Next Saturday, interestingly enough, Auburn plans to come back to Jordan Hare Stadium for not really a scrimmage and not a walkthrough. Malzon says they still got a lot of work to do and they don't want to just, you know, take it as a dress rehearsal. Another interesting part is they're going to come in on Saturday night. Auburn's got a new lighting system, um, as you know, anyone who lives near Jordan Hare Stadium is fully aware of at this point. Um, they've got a new they've got a new lighting system, and I think Malzon wants them to get used to that before that first game. I know that, that first game is at 11, but I think it's just like the best opportunity for them to get some work in there uh, before the season starts, getting used to what the new lights look like for a night game, and they'll probably do a lot of situational stuff then. Until then, though, they've got to get through another week of practice. And, uh, I mean, yeah, the position battles are really, really starting to heat up at this point. I'll turn this to you, Painter, and see what direction you want to go with it, with it here. Of the position battles that are out there for Auburn, which one do you is the one that you're like really, really – keeping a close eye on and the one that you think is going to be the most intriguing one for these next couple of weeks until we get to the opener, seeing, all right, who might take the field first, all things considered if, you know, everybody stays healthy.
0: I think the obvious answers of where you go are offensive line and running back, right? But I'm actually probably most intrigued about who is going to be playing most often. I think we've got an answer really – and it's Eli Stowe behind Schwartz and Seth Williams. But uh, this wide receiver group is expected to take a step forward under Chad Morris. And I fully believe that. Plus I believe, uh, you know, and and Bo Nix taking a big step forward from freshman to sophomore year. So I'm fascinated to see if there's a benefit to some other guys down the road at wide receiver, because there will be plenty of focus and rightfully so on Auburn's top two receivers and to some extent of course even Eli Stove uh, running back you can't help but talk about running back Ferg because one, the position has been so critical to any success a Gus Malzahn team has had 2013, 2014, 2017, even 2010. Of course, they had Cam Newton, but the run game was uh, was phenomenal that year, too. So uh, I don't think you can neglect that position in terms of its value. Plus, we spent an entire podcast, or what felt like an entire podcast, talking about the running backs being used in a more versatile way. And, and that may excite Auburn fans, but I think more importantly, it could be very efficiently make Auburn's offense better. So that's where I'll I'll go first to wide receivers, but I I can't uh, in good faith have this conversation and not mention the running backs.
1: Yeah, I I agree. Let's, let's talk about the wide receivers because we've seen a step forward. I think this off season from a guy like uh, Seth Williams, this was a, uh, one of the observations on, uh, on Sunday morning, Seth Williams lost, quite a bit of, of weight this off season. Um, and that was by design by him. He said he didn't want to lose as much weight as he did. I think I believe it was around 13 or 14 pounds by the time it was all said and done, but he felt like he's been able to gain most of it back with good muscle. He wants to be faster. He wants to be lighter. He says, I'm trying to get like flash, but it's like hard to do because Anthony Schwartz is the fastest man in America. Um, but like, I, I think off the top, a faster Seth Williams combined with, you know, what he's been able to do as a guy getting stronger in his route running, stronger in his breaks, um, becoming a better all-around receiver. You do that and add a little bit of speed to his game. I mean, we've heard about it this the, this offseason. He looks more physical, more physically ready this year. Uh, I think that's got to be a really welcome sight for Bo Nix and the rest of that Auburn offense if their number one receiver is a lighter on his feet this season.
0: Let me just go back real quick. I'm sorry to to hijack this, but I, I don't want to forget about it. Uh, is there a position for more peak you don't want to be talked about than the holder? Uh, I think that's pretty much maybe the snapper is the only other <laughs> position I can think of. And then also, you've been reminding people since we were talking about punters that going forward on fourth down is usually statistically smart. I just want to put that out there the punting position is still important. Going back to the receiving group, uh, Seth Williams I think will end up being a first-round draft pick, although that seems a little bit foolish given how unpredictable – uh, draft rankings are going into a season. No one had Joe Burrow as a first-round quarterback, let alone the uh, statistical benchmark for quarterbacks in college football, as he ended up being. So, you know, a bit futile, but here I am projecting it with my orange and blue spectacles. Uh, I can't help but feel very optimistic that st- that Seth is doing the things necessary to end up being a. Fr-
1: yeah, I mean, I think I think the big thing there with. Um, with Seth Williams is if you're faster this season and you're and you're deployed in a little bit more versatile ways uh, in that Chad Morris scheme, I think that that stock should only rise. Same thing goes for Anthony Schwartz. He's locked in at playing wide receiver. He's locked in with football. That's his. That's going to be his, his his ticket for the future um so how much does he take that step forward and be the guy who can be an all-around receiver can he be a better route runner can he get open a lot more frequently because we know when he's open and bo nix gets the ball to him he's the most efficient receiver auburn's got stove just steady as they come um a guy who's going to play a really good role for auburn and just being that veteran leader on an offense that doesn't have a whole lot of like veteran senior voices among the skill positions uh, i think he's going to be key Let's talk about another name that popped up yesterday and one that has popped up several times during the offseason, and that would be Shedrick Jackson. Uh, yeah. This, yeah, this might be the offseason of Shedrick Jackson. Um, I, You know, I've, I've been a fan of Shedrick Jackson since he came to Auburn, and I think this has got to be the year where he pops.
0: What's giving you that feeling like what is in combination we keep hearing the name and that's often a a good sign obviously uh ahead of a season but is it also that there's more opportunity because I felt like you know there it does feel like in Morris's offense that this is a prime situation for Shorts and Williams does that leave enough room for Shedrick even with his improvements I I
1: think so I think you want to have you know, five, six, seven receivers you want to be able to count on this season and, and rotate them out again on top of the COVID concerns. But if you're going to have an expanded passing game, you're going to have to – you know, who's going to replace guys like um, Sal canella and Will Hastings in this offense and J.J. Wilson to an extent? Like th- that production needs to be replaced at some degree. Now you hope that maybe it'll ste- take a step forward this year Cedric Jackson, I think, is in a really good spot. Like, what happens when Armour goes four wide and, like, puts four true receivers out there? Is he going to be one of them? Um, He's gotten a lot of love from multiple people over the past couple of weeks. Uh, Seth Williams said that he looks really, really smooth as a route runner right now, which I always thought was a good part of his game. You come from a place like Hoover, you're going to be pretty ready to play college football if if you play at Hoover at a really high level. And I think that polish was something that stood out about his game early. He just, he didn't have a lot of opportunities as a receiver, but he got on the field a good bit because he did a lot of that dirty work. And I think that's really paying off for him now um, that he can kind of be, you know, he doesn't have the size of a guy like Seth Williams. He doesn't have the speed of a guy like Anthony Schwartz, but I think he's just, he's got good. He's just a good all around receiver. If you look at him, just straight up what he could be. Um, He can just be just that, that standard weapon, Out wide, and uh, he's got experience. Which again, there's not a ton of people at the skill positions on this offense that have experience.
0: So is this is this the answer then to who it is that I was hoping would become the 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 additional piece? Because I was wondering if it'd be Javarius Johnson or if another freshman, Kobe Hudson, could work their way into this rotation. But it seems pretty clear that someone with Shedrick's experience and willingness to obviously do things like blocking that people don't pay much attention to. I think that's coming to fruition at this point where the rest of his game is rounding into form. Have we got an answer at this point?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think Chedri Jackson has got to be the leader, but you know, uh, one of those guys you mentioned right there, Kobe Hudson has gotten some love from um, Malzahn and Morris as a guy that is stepping up and could contribute right away. I think Kalen Newton, you can't forget about Kalen Newton and the camp he's had, Um, you know, especially Trying to make that transition, but Malzana said he's a guy who could help you out right away, and we've talked about him a decent bit. And then another one that I think may have gotten the most buzz this past week uh, at wide receiver uh, for multiple people is Xavier Capers. And Xavier Capers is, I think, the ideal wide receiver for what you want for Auburn this season because he's six foot four and he's really fast, and he's got that length that they want in the position. When we talk about this huge receiver class that Auburn picked up this past offseason, with the exception of Kobe Hudson, who was, you know, the 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 most talented player in terms of recruiting rankings and the early, early the only early enrollee I should say, among that group. Zebion Capers is like, okay, tall, fast, that'll work. You you want to, you know, get that guy on the field and give him some opportunities. I'm really interested to see where he goes because Um, they wanted to get more guys with size and length, like a set, like Seth Williams, uh, because a, who knows how much longer Seth Williams is going to be playing football for Auburn and not in the NFL. And B, um, these last couple of classes, they've signed some really good guys that are a little bit on the smaller end and capers is kind of the, 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 the prototype that you want. Uh, if you can go six, four and fast, uh, there are a lot of dudes in the NFL that, that have had a pretty good career having those two, uh, having those two attributes to their name.
0: Yeah. You mentioned that this was a situational uh, practice focused on certain situations that Auburn will undoubtedly find itself in. Right. Well, it also would make sense. And I don't know if this is where the noise was coming from because you you know, Morris talked about capers a few days ago, but uh, it would make sense for him to, to have a performance. I would think that would be adequate in a situational practice. Also the shorts news was kind of quietly acknowledged like a week or two ago, whenever he, he came out and said, when was it, how long ago was it that he said that he was going to focus on football because of, you know, track being derailed essentially by COVID.
1: Yeah, it was a, it was a couple of weeks ago and, and, I mean, it makes sense to me for Anthony Schwartz. Look, I'm not gonna sit here and act like I know the ins and outs of the track world. I do know Anthony Schwartz <laughs> is the fastest <laughs> is the fastest man in college football. I know he's one of the fastest humans uh, on the planet by extension. Uh, when you look at some of his track some of his track times and you know the fact that he has a world record next to his uh, next to his name um, that still stands. I, I think the thing with Schwartz though is is that if he can turn into an all-around receiver, and his numbers in 2019 were solid, but can improve, especially when we look at the second half of the season. All those things we talked about, you know, earlier this year, um, you know, really the really the, the the first story at the Observer breaking down why Schwartz should have a huge year. You combine that with that speed, you put him in the NFL. I mean, you can make a really good living, millions of dollars, being a you know, highly valued receiver. In, in the league and track, I mean, there's dreams of wanting to race in the Olympics and be in the get gold medals. But I think with everything that kind of got derailed off of that, um, he's got an attainable goal here to be a guy in the NFL, like a, a, a legit guy in the NFL. And I think if you saw what a guy like Henry Ruggs, a third. Uh, did, you know, jumping up draft boards and and becoming a first round pick from the Raiders and a guy that I think might be the best receiver on the Raiders roster from the first (laughs) from the first time he steps on the field. Um, You know, Ruggs had a lot more, you know, experience as an all around receiver and, you know, going to Alabama definitely helped him. But I think that's a that's a good archetype to have if you're a guy like Schwartz that, you know, developed some of that all around game and prove you're not just a speed guy. Uh, which I think he has to a certain extent uh, his first couple of years at Auburn, and uh, you've got a ticket to make a really good living.
0: for we're less than two weeks away from Auburn taking the field against Kentucky. By the end of the season, given that it happens and we get through the season, how excited and happy do you think? the Auburn fan base will be with Morris in year one, the way he employs what appears to be a deeper than normal receiver unit for Auburn.
1: Yeah, I think, I think this is going to be a year where they're going to try to make something happen in week one and like make a statement. This feels like if Bo Nix is healthy, if that offensive line can hold up and protect well enough in in game one, they're going to want to show that this is a different offense, that this is just not, a Gus on offense with some bells and whistles from Chad Morris. I know they're very similar, but like every time you talk to a player, especially defensive players about what they're seeing from this offense, they're seeing a lot of motion. They're a lot of seeing a lot of moving parts, shifts, stuff like that, putting the ball in the air, trying to be more, more explosive, trying to create more big opportunities for those big plays. We talked about last week. I think if you're, Auburn, you want to make a statement in week one and know that it's not going to be a finished product and and that the offensive line, whatever that looks like, is going to be a, you know, a key component of whether they win or lose against Kentucky in week one. However, this is an opportunity to make a statement. You're at home. It's week one. You got your quarterback that, you know, you feel like is, is a lot more confident this year that might be the most polarizing dude in college football in terms of Bo Nix. Is he good or not? Um, there's, There's a lot of opinions that are divided on him, and this, I think, is the perfect opportunity to just let it loose.
0: All right. I took us down somewhat of a rabbit hole with wide receivers. Do we feel like we've put a bow on that? I think so.
1: I think so. Uh, I did want to check one more thing before we got, uh, before we moved on from that, because when you, when you talk about that Kentucky game and like what Auburn brings to the table, um, you know, Kentucky returns a lot of dudes on that defense in, uh, in 2020, they had one of the best pass defenses in college football last season. Um, they were uh, just behind Auburn at number 13 in the country in yards allowed per attempt. So it'll be a challenge. It'll be a challenge for sure. So, um, I think it's just gonna be, you know, this is a time to really to really make a statement, set the tone, whatever you want whatever cliche you want to use there, uh, to get this thing rolling in twenty twenty. I guess a Kentucky team that's gonna um, really feel like they are in a good spot to come to Jordan Hare Stadium and get a big week one win. Not as big of a surprise as what you saw, you know, from the Sunbelt teams in Georgia Tech by any means. Kentucky's a much better team than that. But one where they're not expected to win and get a big scalp over a ranked team, a team in Auburn who might end up being top ten by the time that game starts. Um, just get just get that going. I Mm -hmm. think is is going to be the key thing for Auburn and 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 Kentucky. Kentucky's going to be fired up for this one, as we all know.
0: We talked um, some about this game, but not a whole lot, and I'm sure we will more as the game gets a bit closer. And I felt good about Auburn winning this one, but watching the first week of college football made me realize that there's just going to be some unpredictability at the point, and Kentucky's got a good enough team in some areas that can challenge Auburn. Based on what we saw from week one, this game, uh, Auburn's a better team, but I'm getting a little bit more nervous as it gets closer.
1: Yeah, I mean, and I, and I don't blame you, you know, whatsoever um, for that because, like we said, Kentucky's a really good team. I want to see what they look like with Terry Wilson back. You know, last year they did some really good things. They didn't they didn't have a huge win to their name, but also, like, after week two, they were having to make Lynn Bowden the offense, and yeah. uh, it's tough. It's tough to get to a lot of consistency there, but they played really good defense. They get most of their guys coming back on that side of the ball, that offensive line is always just, just real, uh, real good. <laughs> I mean, that's been their bread and butter. They're going to run the ball. They had three running backs last season that all put up really good numbers. Um, yeah, I mean, and, and like if Auburn plays sloppy or if Auburn, you know, is missing a lot of their guys, you know, it's, it's fully capable of, of, of taking this loss. But I do think though that if Auburn plays to the capability that they have plays to their potential, They've got some things that I think will be able to sort themselves out because, um, you know, this Kentucky team, as many wins as they had over the last few years, they don't have quite that many big wins over, you know, really talented opponents. Um, And, you know, this is is an opportunity for them, but this is also a, a chance where if Auburn plays to their potential, they get this win. I'm not saying it's going to be a blowout by any means. I think it'll be a tight game back and forth throughout. I I, I believe this one will go down to the, it'll be a four quarter game, but um, if Auburn plays like Auburn's capable of playing, they get this win. Yet there's going to be just so many variables between now and then. where I mean we're we're 13 days away from this game, and yet there's still like all right, who's going to be out? Who's going to start here? Who's going to start there? What? How many people are going to be out for Kentucky? Um, that I think you just kind of have to embrace the fact that this season is going to be weird. And uh, if there's any solace in that for Auburn fans is that when things get weird, Auburn usually does pretty well.
0: Ferg, you mentioned Bowden, the running backs, and that potent Kentucky rush attack. Has there been any chatter among the defensive line about, I almost hate to use this phrase, but playing with the chip on its shoulder basically because there's so much concern about Marlon and, Derek and their departure, because we talked about not being concerned about Rodney Garner's group and that the seal defense as a whole just deserves a benefit of doubt, but have players individually mentioned that at all, that they're ready to prove, Hey, those guys are special talents, but this defensive line is still going to be impressive.
1: I I, I don't think specifically in the case of like, we need we have something to prove, but more of like, we're really confident in what we've got this year, that we've got a lot of depth, that the new guys that are in for Auburn, and there's quite a few of them, are going to be ready to roll um, and that they're going to contribute right away. Some of these younger guys also, like a, like a Colby Wooden, can he you know take a step up? I think there's a lot of confidence in that depth. The one thing that's interesting to me, though, and, 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 in, and in week one, I want to know how much of this will have an impact on the game just because of the run first nature you usually get from Kentucky is Terry Wilson and that passing game going up against an Auburn defensive front. That's going to have to replace a lot of its pass rush. And I want to go to something that Kevin Steele said on, uh, on, on, on what day is that Thursday about that group? Cause he was asked about the, uh, the pass rush and just how that, how that's shaping out this season. And here's what he said. He said, uh, three years ago, we were still trying to figure out, okay, are we going to be a pressure? We're going to have to be a pressure team to generate pass rush, meaning are they going to have to be a team that blitzes to generate pass rush? Uh, Quote, are we going to have to generate it with a four man rush? Are we going to be able to generate with a four man rush? Who's going to be the speed rusher? Who's the inside guys to get on the field for pass rush? And Jeff Holland was not the guy we picked that we thought was going to be the guy. And obviously he was. So they're still sorting things out in that pass rush. They still want to figure out what's that best formula to get after the quarterback. Um, Cause that's going to be key all year long for sure. Especially with that secondary that even though they're very confident in the depth they've got back there and the returning guys, it is a new look group because you lost four guys who were on the field a good bit from last season. What is that pass rush going to look like is going to be very key. And it's, it's striking because, you know, two, less than two weeks out from the season, you might hear that and be like, oh, wait, Auburn doesn't know how it's going to get after the quarterback this year, and that's one of the most important things. And for Steele's case, he's like, hey, we were in this spot three years ago, and then uh, Jeff Holland turned into a monster, and Auburn won the SEC West, and everything ended up working out in that aspect. So I I think after hearing Steele say that this week, this, this pass rush, I am really, really curious to see how all that shapes up, especially in week one, because I don't think Kentucky's going to drop back a ton with Terry Wilson, but it's going to happen.
0: Yeah, I worry about this defense when it sucks again, so that's <laughs> fine. Like, it's cool. I was just curious because, like, you know, they've been so dominant the last two seasons. Auburn could just rely on Marlon and Terry, and uh, I hadn't heard any chatter about those guys saying anything. And you know, that makes perfectly fine sense. I don't think they actually have that much to prove because there are a bunch of guys that are going to have bigger roles on the defensive line that were still important last year. So again, like when this defensive line or defense as a whole is bad, then we.
1: Yeah, I think there is the thing with Auburn's defensive line is that you've got a, you've got a case where Auburn needs to generate that pass rush with four, but also like, you know, that you've got guys like Owen Popo and Jacob McLean that if they want to send them on blitzes, they're going to be very effective. That what, how do they feel about the, about that, that pass rush behind them? Um, I mean, I, I, I'm really curious to see when the first Kevin Steele pin your ears back and send seven to the quarterback blitz comes, um, because that's a really good offensive line from Kentucky. Um, but you know, it's coming and you want to be like, all right, Hey Terry Wilson, welcome back to welcome back to playing college football. Here's a here's a case where you're going to get everything just thrown at your at your head right here. <laughs> so if you do that, you know what what are you going to be able to do uh, when that comes? Uh, you know for you know, th- this week one game against a run first team. So that pass rush is going to take a little bit of time to get going, but that'll be a big key if they can get that say in week two against Georgia because. They've got a new quarterback and it's not necessarily the quarterback they thought they were going to have.
0: <laughs> yeah. I'm curious because we've, we've seen, you know, Auburn's safeties and smoke Monday. We've talked about his ability to blitz. Well, plus the linebacker group. I couldn't be more excited to watch that entire unit this year. Yeah. But, um, I, but then on top of it, like you just mentioned the first two quarterbacks, they play like one's coming off of an injury and hasn't played in a while. And the other one has a bunch of new teammates and didn't think he was going to be the starter.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's the that's the big key for Auburn is that, you know, last season, this team was so good because that defensive line just wreaked havoc on whoever they played in, in terms of run stopping and getting out for the quarterback. You don't have Derek Brown. You don't have Marlon Davidson. All right, what do you, what do you have? And I think instead of having those superstar counts, even though I think a guy like Big Cat Bryant has the potential to get to that level, to get to that household name level in the SEC, um, even though you aren't at that, you, you know, you don't have those household names coming into the season, what you have, I think, for Auburn is a lot of depth and a lot of ability to mix and match. And I think when they figure out this is what the best uh, unit looks like for. Run stopping. This is what our best early down unit looks like. This is what our best pass rushing unit. These are our. This is our best rabbits package. There's a lot of versatility there, and on top of that, you've got dudes that are as versatile as they can be. Big Cat Bryant, we know, can move around. Derek Hall, we know, can move around. We've heard that you know Zykevious Walker has shown he can move around. Colby Woodens even playing some inside stuff, and then Painter. I cannot. I cannot in good conscience not talk about this defensive line and versatility (laughs) without mentioning your boy, Dre Butler.
0: God, I'm excited to watch that man play. Oh my goodness. He is.
1: (laughs) So we haven't gotten into that yet. Like, we've mentioned it now a couple of times on the podcast. Like, why is Dre Butler your guy? Like, what? Like, I want you to, like, explain the man crush.
0: Uh, Athleticism and size being compared, like, being put on steel and Garner. Like, it's very broad, very macro. They went out and got this guy that we know has incredible size and athleticism, and now he gets to work with Rodney Garner. I think that's going to work out really well. That's my analysis. It's not deep. It's not rooted in a whole lot of, um, I would say, it's not rooted in a lot of anything. It's just rooted in a lot of faith in the defense and that guy's athleticism.
1: Yeah, and then on top of that, I think, you know, Auburn Juco athletic defensive line, defensive tackle. Um, They've done think, well there before. Yeah. People, people can get excited about that. I imagine like that, that could be something that they can, they, they can get done and, and be at a, uh, be uh, really excited about the potential for it.
0: Was Nick fairly an acceptable option.
1: Yeah, I think, I think he did. All right. I think he did. All right. For himself. I, you know what? I I want to, I want to piggyback off of that with what you're saying about Dre Butler because I have been really intrigued by Dre Butler ever since he committed to Auburn um, last December. This is a dude that was one of the best speed edge rushers in junior college football last year. His sacks and his tackles for loss last season was absurd. This is a dude who basically played outside linebacker in high school. Now he's 300 pounds. Now he's 300 pounds, and I think we get to the same thing that we talk about with Daquan Newkirk at, at tackle as well. It's like these guys are athletic dudes that have played skill positions, that have played speedier, you know, quick twitch positions in the past, and now they've got the size and this and the and the strength to play down the middle of that defensive line. I mean, I I. I I don't know how guards can handle a dude like when you stand across <laughs> from Daquan Newkirk, it's like, Oh yeah, I played running back in high school. Like I've got a lot more moves than you think I do. And and in the case of Newkirk as well, another dude who was an edge rusher in junior college at Auburn's like, yeah, we're gonna put some more pounds on you and you're gonna be a tackle.
0: And just to throw in a little bit to make my argument better, because I just, you know, sort of uh gawked over the fact that he's an athletic specimen, Like, and, and absolutely uh, the man crush thing is right. Uh, <laughs> 66 tackles, 22 tackles for loss, 11 and a half sacks uh, as the, uh, for the Independence Pirates uh, mm-hmm. at college and a two-time defensive player in the week. So just throwing out some accolades since you asked me uh, why it is I, I feel this way. I, I'm excited to see – someone like that uh, get to work with Rodney Garner. I feel very good about, even if it's not this year, his career taking off. And I think he will still, you know, be important this year. I think he'll be a part of
1: Yeah, and, and I, I didn't think we were going to necessarily go forward with this. Um, you know, we've, we've done this. This podcast is going a, a little under an hour right now. I did want to get to a position group, and I think this is a natural segue here uh, to talk about defensive tackles in the Malzon era, um because there's quite a few to, to to get to. Uh just that that there's a lot of emphasis on those edge rushers. Um especially when you look at like D Ford and Carl Lawson early on before, you know, before Steele uh I guess before Steele fully arrived. I know Carl Lawson played some for him. Um but just that that steel era tackle though, I mean there's been a good run of tackles for him for a while and you know, in 2010, when he was the offensive coordinator, of course Auburn had Nick Fairley. But 2013 and 2014 and early on, I know those defenses weren't great. But you look at the the exploits of guys like Ford and Lawson, they don't have the success they have those years without some tackles, you know, creating some havoc uh, down the middle of that defense. And I think the big one for me that stands out, uh, Painter, from that from that group. Is, uh, it has got to be, well, there's two really Montrevious Adams, uh, and, uh, uh, the Rhino himself, Gabe Wright, who I don't think gets enough credit, uh, <laughs> from this Malzon area. He was a really good player.
0: Is he one of the ones that just slipped through the
1: cracks for you? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I just think, I think he was, he was such like his numbers weren't great, but again, he was a defensive tackle. I remember early in his career they were talking about or now towards the end of his career I should say they had that defensive package where they like the the rhino package where they like put him at end and it was like all right we're just going to put a bunch of like just 100% grade A all-American beef up front and just say all right big man just go attack the go go attack the uh, the quarterback or, or the running back in this case um I was a big Gabe Wright guy I thought he was a really effective player and Ian uh, had a had a solid shot in the NFL for a little while uh, for a guy that I didn't think got the accolades he probably deserved when he was at Auburn.
0: Is he the guy that has probably gotten the least amount of love when you look back uh, over the last few years, especially as this defense has you know begun to improve recently? Are there any players like Wright that you can think of that maybe get forgotten about too often?
1: Um, I'll have to think on that a little bit more because. I mean, I just remember when I was going through this list, I was like, "Man, Gabe Bright, like, that was a guy that was a really... I mean, he had eight and a half tackles for loss in Auburn's um, 2013 season, uh, which you would take uh, three sacks uh, next to a dude in, in D4 that was getting pretty much all of them. Uh, his final year, he didn't have quite the the amount of um, production, but I, I just I, I thought it was I thought it was a really good play. I I'll, I'll put it this way. Put a ga- guy like Gabe Wright in a Kevin Steele defense, um, man, I think you're talking about a, a dude that uh, is really, really popular, um, not only in among Auburn fans, but among, like, SEC
0: circles as well. I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit here, but Dontavius Russell ended up getting some of the, that love when mm-hmm. he came back because I think people were like, oh, yeah, this guy's just quietly been very, very productive for the last few seasons. In some ways, did Wright fall in that category? He just didn't happen to get the same level of attention that final season? Yeah, or I think, comparable.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think it's, it's kind of comparable, and a part of that is that Auburn just wasn't as good of a defense, right? So, like, the thing with Dontavious Russell is – you would say about him, oh, he doesn't have the stats, but look how great Auburn's defense is and how key of a key of part he plays in that defense. I think for Wright, it was like Auburn's defense was average at best during those their, those last couple of 2013 and 12, 2014, and it was like you know you wish they were a little bit better. And and I think if you're if you're an awesome defense like Auburn's had under Steele, a guy like Dontavious Russell can get a lot of credit as he should for, you know, the overall success of that defense. We talked about Matt Adams a little bit injuries kind of sapping him from, my, from, I'm my thinking, getting up to his full on potential at Auburn. I know in the NFL, he's been kind of stuck in neutral because of that right now, but I mean, one of the best players Auburn had signed uh, coming out of high school, top 10 player, really effective. And then, uh, you know, his, his, final season that season with kevin Steele in 2016 uh he was he was a bad man he was a bad bad man uh at at defensive tackle and just keep in mind in 2016 auburn had two top 10 overall players from georgia like top 10 overall national recruits from the state of georgia playing defensive tackle next to each other at times in mod adams and derrick brown and it was just you kind of look back at that and you think, oh, this oh yeah, this, this defense is going to be all right when you when you think about just how much talent they were pumping in. Um, uh, you know, they just needed a system and they needed a coach like Steele to kind of get them to that level.
0: Did Auburn fans realize how good D Ford was only once he got drafted in the first round?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think uh you know, going going over to the ends quickly, but yeah, I think I think so. I mean, he was just on that 2013 defense, it was like he almost had that kind of Nick Fairley role, and it's like, ah, that defense isn't isn't the best in the world, but man, we got we got a, a an absolute game wrecker up front, and 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 I think Ford, even though he didn't have the stats of a guy like Fairley, because it's so hard to have the stats like Fairley in a season, um, I think he got I think he got a pretty good amount of credit for it, and uh, yeah, man, I mean he's he's made a good living in the NFL, um, really has that as that edge rushing type. Um, but I think, yeah, there might be a little bit of that where I think most Auburn fans do it, but maybe some kind of like, okay. Oh wait, he was that, he was that good. I think it's kind of very similar to like what Noah egg, was where it's like, you see him go in the first round. And you're like, Oh, Oh, so he wasn't really that good. <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't just us, uh, you know, looking at it in a, in a homer's perspective, if you were a fan, uh, some other defensive tackles, I wanted to shout out during this time uh, for Auburn. Uh, they got some guys that you know really had uh, a, a, some stretches of success and kind of stepped in for Auburn um, when they needed them the most during this time. Uh, I think of uh, Devereaux Lawrence, uh, Devontae Lambert, some of those guys that just popped in and and and, and played some really good uh, played some really good roles there for uh, for Auburn. Uh, Angelo Blackson, can we can we talk about our boy Angelo Blackson real quick? Uh, imagine uh, moving <laughs> moving to Auburn, Alabama, and um, playing college football here when you're from Delaware. Uh, I remember one of the first times, <laughs> one of the first practices I covered. He he talked afterwards and he was like, "Man, it's hot. It's really hot here. Like I, like <laughs> it is it is brutally hot." And I you guys talked about it, it, but I, I, I didn't build. believe
0: you. Yeah, it's like one of those things where oh, it's not just hot; it's humid. This is miserable. I didn't realize what I signed up for.
1: <laughs> uh, so yeah, it was just that cast of characters that you know got some got some work done uh, for Auburn up front, and then we turn into 20, 2016. We know Montrevious Adams is there. We know Derek Brown is there. Uh, D- Dontavius Russell, you know, kind of kind of is early on in his run to uh, to you know just the unsung hero role that he will always have in the hearts and minds of Auburn fans. Uh, can I shout out a dude? And we'll probably do this at some point. Um, because I think this is a fascinating topic that I want to hear from fans about like who is among your favorite players for Auburn that never were starters. I mean, never made it as a starter career backup career reserve player that you were like, I really like that guy. That guy will always have like a special place that stands out to you. I'm really interested to see what fans have to say about this. And I think anybody who's listened to me talk about him before, know where I might be going with this one. Um, my guy for that is since I've been covering Auburn has been Andrew Williams. I really liked Andrew Williams at Auburn. I thought he played a key role well as the energy dude in that second unit on the defensive attack uh, the defensive tackle spot, and he and he was productive in his opportunities. Um, he just you know had the unfortunate and not unfortunate for him, I wouldn't say because he stayed all four years and seemed to really enjoy his time at Auburn. He had the uh, he had the quote unquote unfortunate. Uh, pleasure of uh, playing behind Derek Brown and Montrevious Adams and Dontavious Russell like there just weren't a ton of opportunities but yet he played that role and he played it so so well
0: he's still with the Jags isn't he I believe so
1: I believe so like he's So, uh, so
0: good enough to be a professional again just playing behind somebody named Derek Brown
1: yeah that'll that'll you know that'll affect you for a decent bit. Uh also another one of those guys that popped up, those Juco guys that filled in a good spot for Auburn as they were building up their recruiting on the defensive side of the ball. Uh Mari Swain Jr. wanted mm-hmm. to give him some love as well. Uh it's just a solid, solid group. Um and then for these last couple of seasons, it's you know, of course, the last few seasons it was the Derek Brown show. And I mean, we don't have to we don't have to harp on Brown too much. Um, if you've listened to me talk before, um, you know my opinion, Derek Brown's the most talented defensive player who's ever come through Auburn. Um, I know that's high, high praise, but I think when you talk about talent and, and impact, um, I think you're talking about at Auburn in Auburn history. I think you're talking about a guy like Cam Newton and of course, Bo Jackson guys like that. And I think on the defensive side, I think it's Derek Brown, right? I mean, you can put it up there. I'd give him the edge over guys like Tracy rocker and Carlos Rogers. And I know, wasn't covering the team during that time, so I might be a little bit biased. But I think in this day and age of offense, to have the co- type of impact Derek Brown had for four years at Auburn, I mean, he, he the game was different be- just because the fact
0: Big Number Five was on the field. You went exactly where I was going to go next, which was I I don't think anyone can be ahead of Cam Newton or Bo Jackson, but mm-hmm. I think the next player, and, and some people will push back against this because I get it. He was a Heisman winner in his own right, Sullivan, but. I think Brown deserves to be third on that list. And, you know, one, I don't care if you don't agree because this is my list. And, two, it doesn't really matter that much. Like, I'm just telling you, I think uh, he, like Ferg, laid out for you and has done a good job. I think you've had some some stories, in fact, that go much deeper into why it is you believe he's the best Auburn defender ever. But the sport gets better as time goes on. The players get more athletic. The offenses and defenses get more intricate. The guy will tear it up in the NFL. I'm with you. I, I I don't care what order you put one and two at because those could be debated forever. But I think it's pretty clear, Derek Brown, if you're going Mount Rushmore, I think he's number three. And some people will say that's too soon. We need time to see how it goes. Maybe so. Like maybe you want to take his NFL career into account. I get that. But what he did at Auburn was. Yeah, it,
1: it really was. It was. It was next level, I think, how good he was. And uh, Auburn fans are going to appreciate that for a while. Interested to see how he goes as a rookie a- in Carolina, because I think there were a lot of people who said, you know, especially in the draft circles, "Oh, he's not quite that good. He's not worth this hype." And uh, he proved pretty much all of them wrong. I think uh, with the was with, uh, with the way he was uh, he was valued by certain teams. In Why that. would you say that? Yeah, I I don't know, man. I don't know. It's just. Did some anyone love watch numbers. him
0: play in college? Like, I just don't understand why it is we do this with some players. If you watch them, you'll know they're good. I don't understand. It's not like he, was it the cone drill? Was that the one thing that people got off board on him about?
1: Yeah. He didn't have the agility for the fake cone drill. It wasn't great. And it was like, all right, well, let's watch him football. He played in the best league in America and was just wrecking people game in and game out. Uh, that is
0: preposterously dumb, but all right. I, the same, it's so good I am saying with the other day with Patrick Mahomes, and like he didn't uh, – did he even know Clyde Edwards Hilaire's last name? He just mm. like watched him play a little bit and was like, oh yeah. Like it didn't take a genius for Pat Mahomes to be like, that guy's good and he can do things that will help me. Like I, I, the way they told the story on the broadcast made it sound like all he really knew was Clyde's first name. And he'd kind of seen him play in passing.
1: Right. Exactly. And, and I mean, you got to just trust that good football players are good football players and they don't always work out. And the numbers are very key for certain spots, but yeah, I just, I can't wait to see Derek Brown just kind of unleash this season. And, uh, in Carolina and hopefully he'll have a really good first year. We've talked about some of the guys that are still on the roster. Want to shout out one more time uh a guy in tyron Truesdale. Uh maybe the most unlikely success story on this defensive side of the ball, I think Daniel Thomas ranks up there with him. We talked about Roger McCurry being that fact, but want to tell the story. Tyron Trusdale comes to Auburn, his freshman season, we're at fall camp. We're watching them go through drills. And man, Ronnie Garner, we're out there and Ronnie Garner is just giving him the business. Uh, it was really, really rough to watch. He was having a hard time with the, with the conditioning. It looked like, and I remember walking away and being like, man, I don't know if he's going to make it. Cause he was already a low rated guy. And it was the guy that Auburn took a chance on at the last second. You, you felt like with the, with the scholarship offer. And it was like, ah, well, you know, that was kind of tough to watch. Lo and behold, his freshman season, he gets on the field a decent bit, becomes a starter um, fairly quickly, and is a guy that you know stepped in for Dontavious Russell, a guy as we talked about was really really productive even though the numbers didn't always show it, and it's just Auburn's kept ticking with him, and man, what a what a success story he's been because there's some dudes who might have folded under that pressure, might have folded, and we've seen some guys in the past just not click with Rodney Garner. This dude stuck it out, and, and and the fact that he's about to be a multi-year starter on Auburn's Auburn's defensive line, and really good Auburn defensive lines, I might add. It's hard to hold off. Think about how many guys have, think about how many guys Auburn has put in on that defensive line since he's been there, and he's like, yeah, and I'm one of the best. It's like, that's that's a huge accomplishment. So shout out Tyron
0: Truesdale, man. The the true meaning of determination. Determination, though, my guy Tyrone. That's all right. Well, yeah, it's a, a nice way to uh, a feel good story, if you will. Yeah, well, you can always use some feel good stories.
1: It's 2020. It's, it's not been great. Um, but You yeah, haven't got, had a fantastic year, for. <laughs> can't say. Can't say. I, have. I will say, though. I will say. Uh, this is a pre- that's a perfect time to segue and wrap this thing up. I will say, though, highlight of 2020 so far for me, 100% has been <laughs> these last couple of weeks. And I, and I mean that with all sincerity, because um, this was a chance we've said it before. This when we decided to go out on this and try this out. We didn't know how it was going to be received. We didn't know exactly what it was going to look like, um, you know, for Auburn uh, for Auburn fans to accept this kind of new format. Um, it, it's different. It's different. And I get that. And, 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 you know, when we start over to a paid format in October, we know not all of you are going to be uh, coming on board, and that's a hundred percent perfectly fine because money is not the greatest thing in the world right now to 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 try to manage during this. But the amount of response we've gotten from you guys so far um, has been phenomenal, and the reviews that we're getting um, for, on the podcast, the, the comments you're leaving on stories, the tweets that we've that we've both gotten have been huge. And like I know for me, Painter, it's been uh, a really big, bright spot in a year where we've really
0: needed them, right? I can't say thank you enough to people for reaching out, to listening. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. It has been, so far, absolutely fantastic, and I'm enjoying it, and I hope that you guys will continue to enjoy the Auburn Observer with us.
1: Yeah, as we as we talk right now here on Sunday, uh, we are now over 950 signups. We are over 950 signups, which is just phenomenal. I think before, maybe before we get to the Kentucky game, maybe by the end of this week, we're going to be talking about over 1,000 people uh, signing up for the Observer. And you can be one of those people if you haven't yet. I know a lot of you listening are. But if you haven't yet, auburnobserver.com. Sign up there. 100% free content throughout the entire month of September so a preview mode. I know some of you are like, I want to pay now. It's like, I, I appreciate that. I really appreciate that a, a ton. But, uh, but yeah, hold off a little bit. Hold off. Hold off on right now. October first, we will make that switch over. Uh, transition. What we're shooting for right now it looks like it's probably going to be somewhere in the neighborhood of six dollars a month. Uh, possibly a little discount uh, for those of you who want to pay for a whole year. We're all working through Ooh. those through that through that process right now. The podcast will continue to be free one episode a week. The early week episode will continue to be free and we will uh, give out not only our stories, but if you subscribe, you will get a, you will get a premium podcast episode per week as well. But rate, review, subscribe, all of that uh, for the Auburn Observer podcast, wherever you listen to it. Painter, we are in a process right now where we are trying to get on every podcast platform known to man, um. So uh, tweet at painter, tweet at painter, DM him, email him, let him know what you want it to be on because he's done a really good job of getting them on there.
0: Yeah, I think we're good. Um, everywhere I'm waiting on confirmation from Google Podcast. Yeah, that was the yeah. big one left. Let me know if we're if there's any platforms. Absolutely. And thank you guys. Can't thank you enough thus far. Ferg, what do you have coming out? If you don't mind me uh getting in your lane here just a little bit, do you have anything worth teasing this week that you're writing about? I'm gonna write about Sean Shivers.
1: I'm gonna write about I'm gonna write about Sean Shivers because there's been a lot of a lot of love about him uh this offseason and uh, especially these last couple weeks. And I want to see kind of where we can see him explode this year uh in the different ways, kind of maybe dig into some numbers there with him. That'll come out uh, hopefully on Tuesday. Um, like we said, Sunday, we have your observations if you haven't checked those out yet. Mailbag came out on Friday as well. Um you can read all of that. And uh, yeah, we'll have another podcast later this week. Uh, I know uh, we 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 had better audio last uh, uh, for the last episode with the with the new mics. Um, we are working working the bugs out here. Uh, we're gonna have to do at least one more of these uh, kind of <laughs> remotely. Um, so appreciate everybody's patience with that. Hopefully, all goes smoothly on that. end. also want to shout out the Auburn fans uh, that. Uh, Banded together and quickly smashed the record for Homefield's Big news Saturday launch. Um, I believe the final count was on their on the first day sales. They were a hundred. Auburn fans were a hundred and seventy percent of the sales of former number one Pitt, and one hundred ninety five percent of the sales <laughs> of former number two Virginia Tech. Auburn, you are now the leader in the clubhouse. And uh, I mean, as, as for good reason, Connor and those guys did a really good job. And there's some, there's some, uh, there's some really sweet gear there at homefieldapparel.com. And uh, yeah, pick it up if you uh, if you like old Auburn logos, because there's a few of them on there that I have never seen before, much less on a shirt. And uh, you're gonna want to get in on that. But yeah, I'm telling you, man, Auburn fans, if you tell them if you tell them there's a competition to show your support, they are going to they are going to throw their money behind it. Yeah, you guys
0: banded together and beat some so good job on that, Auburn fans. A hundred percent. Appreciate you guys listening.
1: Appreciate you guys signing up and uh, hopefully subscribing uh early next month at AuburnObserver.com. Check it all out there. Wherever you listen to your podcast, rate, review, subscribe. It keeps us uh you know, keeps us near the top of those charts whenever you try to search for us and also just generally makes us happy, so we appreciate that. <laughs> you can follow me on Twitter at JFergusonAU. You can follow him at PaintSharpless on Twitter. Till later this week. Adios, Painter. Try to stay warm in the frozen north.